Now, when you read that or hear that kind of introduction and you, then you hear that uh, we've just read the law, you're probably going, okay, this is going to be really heavy. Like, you know, switch to doze mode pretty soon. <coughs> uh, we'll try to make it rather practical. <coughs> uh, thank you for that introduction, Paul, and also introducing uh, Anne as well. Uh, right now, Africa, South Africa is a very troubled country. Uh, some of you may have heard about some of the looting and rioting going on there. Uh, some of this is simply opportunism because people aren't happy with the jailing of the former corrupt president, um, Zuma. And uh, <clears throat> in Durban, factories have been burned down, um, shops looted, malls completely torched. We received a note from a pastor friend that they are actually guarding their little suburb where they live with baseball bats. Imagine that. Like, it's almost like another world. And uh, Paul <coughs> did mention, Pastor Paul mentioned that, yes, we have a lust for danger. Um, we would joke with the people in South Africa and said, yeah, when we lived in Guinea, West Africa, you know, we got used to the smell of tear gas. We kind of got addicted to it. Then we moved to Egypt, and they had civil unrest when um, uh, Mubarak went down, Morsi came up, Morsi went down, Sisi came up. Lots more tear gas. Now we're wondering, in three weeks or so, when we go back to South Africa, what are we going to face? Anyways, we're immortal until God calls us home. Right? So uh, we don't have to uh, worry about everything. Not that we're crazy. We have an adage Love God, trust God, and keep your gunpowder dry. <laughs> so that's, uh, so we, <clears throat> that's our ministry of multiplying servants. Let me just give you one short example. I have a student whose name is Mpo. He is a Tswana speaker. Uh, in the town where we live uh, and minister called Rustenburg, South Africa, uh, there are many platinum and palladium mines. And Poe has a business of cleaning mining equipment with a high-pressure truck. He took my ethics class, and he was struggling a lot. But towards the end, he said, you know what? I am teaching the, you, what you taught in our ethics class to my little church, which he pastors on Sunday, because most pastors there are bivocational. And he said, I've really got it. Because what we stressed with the commandments is that every commandment you have to ask, how did Jesus fulfill this commandment? That's the key question. Not how can I beat myself up more because I don't feel like I've arrived. But the question is, how did Jesus fulfill this commandment so that I have hope? And that's, that will be our theme today. We read through... Um, the uh, scripture and the one that we're going to focus on from the Ten Commandments, you shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant, his female servant, his ox, his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. <clears throat> when we sit here and hear the commandments, the Ten Commandments, we can become just slightly self-righteous. I'm sitting here, no, I never murdered anyone this week, and no, I actually didn't commit physical adultery, and no, I didn't actually steal anything, so, you know, I'm doing pretty good. But then comes this last commandment, 
which scholars have said that it's kind of a bookend with the first one. You shall love the Lord your God only, the one who brought you out of Egypt. And this one at the end of it says, I want to look at your heart. It's not just the physical things that maybe you avoided somehow. This is a thing about the heart. And it hits us all. I was thinking about the children going back to school. You know, the first day of class. Mommy, Jamie had better Nike shoes than me. And that's comparison thing. Or university students. Oh, they had a more advanced computer than I did, etc., etc. Or even pastors have church envy. Oh, I wish I had a congregation like that. I wish I had a building like that. Or each and every one of us, man, that family's got the ultimate trailer for camping. Been there? <laughs> wow, I wish I had a bit of, bit of, little bit more property. And then it even gets closer to home. Ah, oh, my wife is getting a little old and wrinkly. I wish I had an upgrade. <laughs> See, these are the things of the heart, but we don't actually express it verbally because it's kind of dangerous. But this is the heart, what this commandment is doing. And it's really asking the question, are you content with what the Lord, and in this, as we read these commandments, the theme of this is the Lord, that is Yahweh, the covenant-keeping God, your God. Not some distant God, your God. The one who has made him, made us his people. The Lord, your God. And the question is, are we content with what he has given us? Now you might say, well, what are you? Some kind of fatalist? Like, you know, whatever he dishes out, you know, you just lay back and don't do anything and eat it up and that's fine. No, we're not going there. But are we implicitly content? In fact, in Deuteronomy, where we have the parallel passage to this one, it says, and you shall not covet your neighbor's wife and you shall not desire or crave, that's that overly strong desire that Pastor Paul has spoken about on some, in some sermons, you shall not crave your neighbor's field, you should not crave your neighbor's wife. So this is the stuff of the heart again. In Ecclesiastes we read, Then I saw that all toil and all skill and works comes from a man's envy of his neighbor. This is also vanity and a striving after the wind. And of course it asks us, we who profess to trust in the living God, who believe that our good heavenly father has good stuff for us, are we moving towards this implicit unbelief that we really don't believe that what he's giving us is good for us? We can envy our neighbor's health. We can envy our neighbor's wealth. We can envy our neighbor's status. This is all the stuff of humanity. Think about David and Bathsheba. In the spring of the year, kings went out to war. And King David said, you know, I've had a kind of a distinguished military career. I think this spring I will simply sit on my laurels 
and I will imbibe the North American ethos, personal peace and affluence. The kings go out to war, but I will sit in my lazy boy chair, because after all, I did the Goliath thing. And his little bit of leisure started to work on him. He rose from his couch, verse 2, and he saw a beautiful woman bathing. Now David had a number of wives already. And we have to ask ourselves, what was it in Dave, King David's heart that was discontent with his lot in life that said, I need yet another? What discontent, what disbelief in the living God did David have that said, I need an other, namely Bathsheba? You know the rest of the story. Things went downhill very fast, right? He gets her to come to the house. The scripture is very clear that she was not already pregnant. She becomes pregnant. He has to arrange a murder. He has to arrange lies, committing adultery. So actually, just in this lack of, this covetousness of Uriah's wife, he actually committed sin of all the commandments. That's why this commandment is so, so important. There's killing, there's adultery, there's lying, there's stealing, there's murder. There's a lack of trust in the living God. Jesus said, take care and be on your guard against all kinds of covetousness. That is that overly strong desire to want what the other has. And you know, consumer culture, which is also in South Africa, which is also in Egypt, which is also in Guinea, feeds this discontent. My 32-inch TV. What are you doing with a 32-inch TV? Are you, are you backwards? Like, are you a dinosaur you need 67 and there's no end to it right there's no end to it be on your guard against all kinds of covetousness for one's life does not consist in the abundance of one's possessions and i'll say personally we have a son who I have counseled him. I said, please don't lose, gain the world and lose your soul. I won't go into any more details, but he has seen the allure of abundance of possessions. Now we look to Jesus. Think of this. Jesus is in heaven with the Trinity the one who holds the world together by the, holds the universe together by the word of his power. He is sent to earth through the birth canal. Mothers here know all about this and fathers who have witnessed this know about this. This is not beauty. This is not honor. This is not status. And yet he says, I don't have to come down from heaven in my Tesla plaid. Two seconds, zero to 60. Jay Leno, yes? I am a little bit following EV yeah, technology. I love it. <clears throat> he says, I'm coming through the birth canal. I'm, being, I'm going to come under 
suspicious circumstances of a crazy Mary who says, yeah, I got pregnant from the Holy Spirit. Yeah, right. And then Joseph who has to deal with this shame of whatever this is, a loose woman who he's supposed to marry. And it just goes on and on. Jesus by rights should have been trucking around Israel with the latest technology, that is to say an Egyptian chariot. That was the technology of the day. How does he get around? He's walking. And what does he say? I don't need status. I don't need stuff, even though I have the right to it all. Our consumer culture is feeding us. You need status. You need stuff. You have a right to it all. But we have a savior who says, I don't need it. This is a challenge. The son of man, he said, foxes have holes, the birds of the air have nests, but the son of man, get the punchline, the son of man reckoning back to Daniel, where the son of man is in glory and the heavenly cohort is worshiping him. The son of man has no place to lay his head. Wow. So what does this say about our values? How much of the culture have we started to drink in? I need it. I want it. I deserve it. Bank of, Mon Bank of Nova Scotia, you are richer than you think. <laughs> You're poorer than you know, if that's what makes you rich. <laughs> And the Apostle Paul said in Colossians 3, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. You see, the Ten Commandments is an anti-idol polemic. You will worship the Lord, the living God, only. And basically, at the end of it, it says, covetousness is idolatry. I idolize what my neighbor has. And basically I say, by doing that, I'm saying, God, I don't trust you. And you go like, hey, you know, what's your problem? Like, you know, are you one of those hippies from the, uh, you know, you've had a little bit too much of that weed because you're just laying back and you're kind of attacking me because like I'm an entrepreneur and I have a business and, I, and I'm driven and so on. I'm not saying that. Use the good gifts God has given you, but watch out for idolatry. So we need to look to Jesus. He died to his rights. He died to his comforts. He was the one who embodied the fact that he was content in all circumstances. And that's why the Apostle Paul said, I have learned to abase and to abound and he said, godliness with contentment is great gain. Because the Apostle Paul was looking to Jesus. In East Africa, there were revivals in the 1930s. And in those revivals, through the power of the Holy Spirit, God revealed a lot of sin in congregations. 
There was the secret theft. There was the secret adultery. There was the secret this and that. And through his spirit, God brought these secret sins out. We have witnessed this ourselves in Guinea. There was a time when God was reviving his church in Guinea. I mean, real revival. Not something that you said, we're having a revival next week. Where we went to an area called the forest area. And I remember sitting in this congregation and having a mental picture of someone carrying a bag of rice on their back. And I said to the congregation, I'm not sure what this picture means. I'm no prophet and I'm no mystic. But does anyone relate to that? Man walks up to the microphone. I'm the principal of the school and I have been extorting funds. Next one, we had a lineup of 70 people waiting at the microphone to confess their sin to their brothers. This does not happen in a shame culture, but this was the power of the Holy Spirit. And the same thing happened in Kenya, in East Africa. And after that, people routinely would say this to one another. And of course, the phraseology is part of its time. It said, brother, are you walking in the light? They would ask each other this to challenge their faith. Brother, are you walking in the light? And perhaps this congregation needs to ask each other, brother, sister, are you walking in the light when it comes to contentment as a vaccine against covetousness? I'll say that again, and we'll close with that. Brother, sister, are you walking in the light when it comes to contentment with which God with which with which God has given you as a as a vaccine against covetousness. May God, God guard our hearts and minds. Let's pray. Father, these are tough words in this context here. Because all of us know very well that we have been influenced by the spirit of the age. Give us grace to look to Jesus today, the author and perfecter of our faith, of our trust in you. Help us to throw ourselves once more on him. And also to have a very courageous way of saying we want to follow him closely. In your name we pray. Amen.